Welcome to the Gallery Girl podcast. Gallery Girl is a London-based website and curatorial platform dedicated to contemporary art from across the globe. In this podcast, we're going to focus on female artists, curators and practitioners who highlight art with roots in West Asia and North Africa. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Gallery Girl podcast. Today, my guest is Dara Hanum. Um, she is a Palestinian photographer based in Dubai. She's also a journalist, producer, artist, writer, podcaster. Um, what else do you do, Dara? <laughs> and she runs the incredible Middle East Archive Project, which is a digital platform that crowdsources family archives from the Middle East and North Africa. So welcome, Dara. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Lizzie. I'm super excited to be on the Gallery Girl podcast. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to be here and, and to speak with you. Yeah, so I thought we could start from the beginning. Obviously, your main interest is photography, right? Yeah. So what got you interested in photography as a medium and as an art form? Okay, so there's the long answer and there's a the short answer, but... For the, just for the sake of time, I'm going yeah. to um, go for the medium length answer. Okay. <laughs> um, I basically, I was, when I was like 16, 17, I started um, doing these film, like film courses. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in filmmaking and documentary. Um, I was too young at the time to really understand the intersections between like documentary and art and yeah I didn't even I didn't even think that like art art was even something that was accessible to me mm-hmm. especially as a young Arab woman who grew up in the Middle East yeah um, I never even thought that like art was I, I never even thought like forget art I never mm-hmm. even thought like filmmaking and documentary and even photography was something that was that had space for me right but I did know from a very young age that I was super interested in telling stories and in storytelling and I was very drawn to filmmaking Mm -hmm. and so I started doing these film courses and producing and creating these little um like short films yeah sometimes they were experimental in form and sometimes they were artistic and then other time but I mean most of the time they had a documentary element to them Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was like doing filmmaking. I was I fell in love with it, and then when it came time to go to university, um, being from the Middle East, that wasn't something that was encouraged to go into as like a as like a a career. Yeah. Um. So I didn't think that it was even a viable career for me, and I always assumed that it was forever going to be like a hobby. I never I never thought that I would you know, make it anything more than that or that there was space for me to make it anything more than that. So I went to uni in the UK. I studied um, politics, anthropology, sociology, and economics. Mm. I did that for four years. And in those four years, I, um, I had, I struggled to make films. I mean, I made a film in my first year of uni that I entered into the, into a film festival in, in, in West of England. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it was shortlisted, and it was screened, and, but then after that, you know, I produced some little documentary films, but I mean, I, I, I felt like, one, I didn't have the time to do it, mm. two, I was too focused on, like, my studies and academia, and three, I didn't have, like, the budget for it, I didn't have all the equipment that I needed to, you know, turn it into something more than that, and I was at a very science sciences-based university, so, yeah. like, there was no one around me that was doing it, so I just kind of, like, forgot about it. Yeah. Then after I graduated, I came back to the UAE, and um, I started working in the NGO sector. Uh-huh. And while I was working there, I, I was the person who um, would have to, like, write press releases and, like, source, basically, information to give out to the press on, like, various humanitarian crises that were happening in the region. Mm-hmm. And I was always so disappointed with the imagery that I was receiving from um, humanitarians on the ground in the yeah. field, whether it was, like, in refugee camps or whether it was, like, you know, within certain, like, various missions. Yeah. Anyway, so I became, like, super kind of, like, uncomfortable and just, like, generally disappointed with the type of imagery that was coming out of like very refugee camps etc mm-hmm. and then I was like you know what I think I could do this better than <laughs> humanitarians on yeah. the ground yeah so um with the idea that I was going to be like a person on the ground that was like representing refugees and disenfranchised communities and marginalized communities in a better way Mm -hmm. I picked up the camera and I was like okay I need to learn photography yeah and photography at the time seemed like a nice um like a nice compromise and sacrifice for filmmaking Mm -hmm. and it felt like it was fun enough it was budget friendly it was time friendly which by the way I completely take this back (laughs) not more budget-friendly or time-friendly um, in comparison or relative to filmmaking, but yeah. I, I, that's what I thought at the time. And I was like, okay, let me do this. And so I started, um, I, I'm i a self-taught photographer. Yeah. I started doing, like, various courses, etc., etc. But underpinning everything that I'm saying right now is just, like, a, a vested interest in, in, in storytelling mm. and a vested interest in representation and in telling alternative stories from the region and representing subjects in a in a way that is fair and that is um I don't want to say closer to the truth because mm-hmm. I feel like there's no such thing as ultimate truth everything yeah. is subjective but I mean close far from you know stereotypical media like mainstream media imagery of the region mm-hmm. and that and since then that's kind of become what I what I really, really, really care about. It's just like shifting mainstream narratives and bringing to the light um, alternative narratives about the region. Yeah. Since then, I've moved on from NGO work and I've moved on from the humanitarian sector. Mm. But um, yeah, after that, I became a freelance journalist, freelance photographer. Um, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. And I guess that feeds in quite nicely to the Middle East Archive Project, where people submit their own family photographs, and it's almost like a almost like a democratic history of the region that's different to museums and books and things like that. I mean, what gave you the idea to do that? Like, you know, I'm such a big fan, but like, what prompted you to start doing it? Well, um. First of all, the statement you just made, yes, absolutely, it is a more democratic um, 
approach to kind of like telling is to storytelling. I'm inviting through the Middle East Archive Project, I'm inviting people from all over the world who have roots in this region and have um, connection to this community to share the stories of their families. Um, but to, to answer your question about like the inspiration for it, I mean, I or the, the idea behind it, it was just like I realized that taking photographs isn't the only way of making photographs or of telling stories via photographs. I mean, I, I realized through this photography journey that um, family archives and archiving is a practice of photography. Yeah. And then, and then I thought to myself, well, I'm not the only person that has, like, a red suitcase full of family photos from, like, a million years ago mm. and has, like, thousands of images from my history and from my family history kind of stored away in, like, a storage space inside that suitcase. I'm pretty sure that there are that everybody in the Middle East has experienced this. Everybody has photographs at home of, of their family and of their family history. And I was like, wow, it's so interesting that we have an entire museum telling a different story about the region, kind of like tucked away inside yeah. people's houses and inside, you know, jewelry boxes and inside suitcases and bags and, 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 and boxes and etc. So, I was just like, well, if I have that, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people have that. And I'm also really interested in seeing what other people have to say about their family photographs and their family archives. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, for me, when, when you started and I kind of went looking through my archives, it was a nice um, experience kind of like talking to my mom about the people in these pictures and like discovering the stories of people that you don't really know, it kind of builds a connection. A hundred, yeah. like hundreds of years, like some of the pictures are like a hundred years old, with people that you never meet, but it's almost like you get to know them through the images and see what their lives may have been like. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, that process of you kind of like talking to your mom and asking her questions and getting her to like remember things and to talk about... Um, I mean, because every, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure when you were going through the images with her, like, there were certain images that triggered a memory or triggered a thought or uh, triggered a story. And I think that that's the process I'm really interested in. I'm really interested to see how the memories that a lot of these images bring up. Because, I mean, it's not like when people are taking family photos, even back then, they're not thinking, oh, I want to document the, the political, yeah. social, and economic history of the region. They're just thinking, I want this. I want to create a memory. I want to I want to remember this moment, right? Mm, yeah. But the thing is, for a lot of our parents and our grandparents, when they look back at the image, it's like the, the memory that, that, that is triggered by the image also comes with a whole backstory. I mean, I'm pretty sure your mom was, like, looking at the image and saying, oh, yeah, you know, like, back then we did this and did yeah. that. And there was a war and there was conflict and we had to move. And uh, this was the economic situation. This was the social situation. And there's all of this backstory that comes with every single memory and moment. And for me, it's like, that's, that's what I want to know. I want to know the story that, that every image triggers for every family. From the submissions that people have sent to you, what are the most interesting things that you've come across? Like, I'm sure you've learned so many things about the region that you didn't know before through other people's stories. 
Yes, 100%. And I think that's, like, one of my favorite parts about this project or the process of this project is um, getting to see uh, a variety of perspectives of the same of, of the same moment in history. Yeah. So, I, I'm as, I, as we said earlier, I'm Palestinian. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of submissions of people sending in images from Palestine. Yeah. And just seeing the diff- like the diversity of the stories of the same points in history. I mean, I have images that were taken in 1967. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's crazy. It's crazy to me that, you know, I have stories and images from 1967 that my family had shown me and told me about, and then I'll have a complete stranger living somewhere completely different will send me an image of that very same time in that very same place. And they'll tell me, yeah, the history is the same in terms of, like, the historical, like, the political historical events that have happened. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, their perspective of it, what they were doing at the time, what they were feeling, what they were thinking, how they reacted, it's completely different. And I think, like, for me, it's just seeing the diversity of the stories and the diversity of spirits um, in in those same historical moments is just, like, absolutely incredible. I think those are my favorite um, submissions. And then also, like, sometimes just learning the history. I mean, I consider myself to be somebody who is relatively well-versed in the history of the region and, mm-hmm. and has read it a lot about it and yeah. knows a lot about it. But it really shocks me and surprises me sometimes when um, when uh, I see, when somebody sends in a story about uh, something that has happened in our part of the world that I'd never heard of or never knew about. I mean, there's this one guy that sent in a submission. I mean, he lives in Brazil. He's okay. like probably like fifth or fourth or fifth generation Syrian living in Brazil. And he said, he, I mean, he says, he claims that his great-grandfather, or sorry, not his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather is the first Syrian to arrive in Brazil. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, What a claim. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sometimes those claims cannot be historically verified. Mm -hmm. I can't verify those claims, but I don't care. Like, it's not about whether or not that is true it's more about the fact that this family believes that this is their history and they're very proud of it and um just what i learned i mean he told me that his great-grandfather great-great-grandfather had um was part of the assyrian genocide well was victim of the assyrian genocide yeah and was uh, and got on a ship he was 18 years old at the time and got on a ship in the early 1900s or probably like late 1800s um from syria or southern syria to to brazil Mm. and and um when i asked him like okay well why do you, you still consider yourself to be arab even though you were like probably fourth or fifth generation yeah he was saying yeah because um the his great like the, the kids of his great grandfather so sorry of his great great grandfather which <laughs> are his great grandparents they all married other arabs in the community uh, okay. so they kind of kept the arab like the arab um heritage alive by you know marrying within you know within the arab community in latin america yeah. and and it's just like it's so amazing to me and it just like blows my mind to see stories like this from 
a complete stranger on the opposite side of the planet telling me something I never knew about our part of the world. Yeah, it's so crazy. And I guess it makes, um, when you submit it and then you post it online, it kind of makes that person even more special. Like, it feels special to be able to share these stories. I, Do you really feel that I really way? thought like, that way. I think, I mean, for me, they're, the pictures that I sent you are pictures of my grandmother, and we grew up on, like, completely different continents, so I never knew her that well. And it's like, I'm always, like, getting to know her, and it's like, oh, look, there's my grandma on the internet. I bet she would never have thought to see herself. <laughs> like, if my grandma was so around now, and I'd be like, grandma, like, people know who you are, like... I'm sure she would be shocked. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, like, back then, they would never even consider that a photograph taken at, say, like, their graduation is, like, yeah. on the internet, you know? It's crazy. I mean, they didn't even have the internet then, so... That's why I always like to think, like, what do the people in these pictures... What would they think if they knew that we were all talking about them now? Yeah, exactly. And I think also, like... I mean, I'm I'm not surprised that you that you feel like kind of proud to see your family, um, your family history up there on the archive because I think a lot of people feel that way yeah. when they see their grandparents or their parents or a great uncle or a great aunt um, up on the archive. They feel like they're kind of it's like a tribute mm. to their family and it's like a tribute to the legacy of their family and. I mean, at first, I didn't think people would get so excited to see their family, um, their family photos up there. I, ju I actually thought I was gonna struggle. Like when I first really? start started it, I was like, "Who's gonna have the time? Who's gonna care? Like, who's going to give a crap about this archive that I'm starting? Um, I'm probably gonna get like one or two submissions a month, and nobody's gonna really care." Yeah. But that. Like, as soon as I started the archive, I had, like, submissions from all over the world, like, come pouring in. And I just, and the thing is, like, sometimes I have so many submissions, and I also have, like, other projects that I'm working on, and I have a full-time job. So sometimes it'll take me two or three or four days to, like, actually um, uh, put the submission up. And also I do it in, um, I do it in, like, a, on a first-come, first-served basis. Yeah. So, like, if you send me your photo today, it's going to go up tomorrow, and then the the person after you will come the day after tomorrow, yeah, right? Yeah. And then some people um, will send me a message and they'll be like, why didn't you post my photo up? Like, oh, it's, wow. been, it's been four days. And I'd be like, wow, like, people actually get hurt if I don't, you know, if we have a conversation and talk about their family history, which is how I um, uh, create the captions. Like, yeah. I, I write the captions underneath each image and it's based on like the conversation that I have with this person and questions that I ask and things like that and then and and then they'll come back to me like four or five days later and they'll be like why didn't you sit why didn't you put it up and then I remember someone once sent me a portrait of their grandparents on their wedding day yeah and then it took me like a week or more to like get back to her I didn't I didn't respond to her submission I was like overwhelmed and then she sent me like a follow-up message saying hey, uh, is there something wrong with my grandparents' picture? Oh, my like, goodness. Why aren't you putting it up? Wow. Yeah, and I was just like, no, 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 I'm so sorry. And I have to be really conscious now when I'm talking to people because, like, I don't want them to feel like if their photo doesn't go up, then it doesn't matter. Because yeah. I think the whole, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is the whole reason why people even get so excited is because they feel like finally there's a place where they feel represented. Yeah. And so... 
And so if you don't, like, immediately give them that, like, um, response of excitement about their family archives, people feel, people get disappointed. And I totally get it. Like, I understand. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I really think about it, I'm like, yeah, of course. Because, like, the whole point of this project is to feel, like, it's not the whole point, but but a large part of it is the is to create a more accurate representation of the region and yeah. so when people send in things and I don't get back to them they if they feel you know unhappy or uncomfortable or anything like that I mean I get it it's because everybody wants to feel like their history matters yeah you know it's, what I mean? it's very personal in that respect absolutely yeah yeah it's crazy although I do really enjoy the wedding photographs I really like them. I love them. I don't actually have any wedding photographs of my grandparents. And I'm just like, why don't we have them, Mom? Like, <laughs> like I love seeing how the fashions have changed over time. Yes, same here. I mean, I think that's a huge part of why I love wedding pictures that people send. Because you get to see the fashion and the trends. And you get to see, like, how people carried themselves and how they celebrated. And, like, um, I mean... Another thing that I think um, the archive fulfills, like, it fulfills accidentally is to bring back the stories of how glamorous um, the Middle East actually yeah. is. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure you, just like me, and many other, like, many other Arabs and Middle Eastern um Middle Eastern families around the world, we're always told these stories about how glamorous our grandparents was, yeah. how glamorous their life was. I mean, even with modest means, even if they were, like, a very humble family, they will always, um, uh, there's always these recurring stories of, yeah, my grandmother was so beautiful, she dressed yeah. like this, she loved to take care of her hair and her yeah. skin. And, Apparently, um, my grandmother um, would only, like, she'd buy a handbag and then she would never wear it until she had an exactly the same pair of shoes to match. And my mother said all of her clothes in Beirut, they were all handmade. Everything was perfect. And she's always saying, I can't believe the way people dress now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly what you're saying, I can completely relate to. I mean, my mom always tells me, like, these insane stories about my aunts. So my yeah. aunt is, like, um, quite a, like, uh, much older than my mom is. Mm. So they have, like, a, a big gap between them. And my mom is always telling me, like, these stories about how um, she would always make sure to go shopping, like, once a week in case she had, like, a like a dinner party or something like that. And my mom would, like, describe her dresses and her style and how she dressed. And, and not just my aunt, but my mom actually would describe a lot of people from our family and say things like, oh, she dressed like this, and she loved fashion, and even with my grandmother, I mean, my grandmother came from a very, like, humble, um, like, a very humble town in Palestine, right? Yeah. And she, she used to wear the traditional Palestinian dress, like, most of the time. Yeah. But my mom would tell me that when my grandma wasn't wearing the Palestinian uh, Tob, she would be like dressed in like the most fashionable clothes. Wow. And yeah, and then I, I remember like asking my mom, like, how did you guys even know? Well, not my mom, I guess, but like even my grandmother, like, how did they know 
what was super trendy at the time when they didn't have like access to you know vogue or like access to um you know hollywood yeah. i mean if you're in palestine in the 60s i don't think you had major access to hollywood or, or, to, yeah. or to vogue and or to paris fashion week or, or the equivalent of that at the time yeah and my mom was like we just knew yeah and i was like how how did you just know and she's like yeah we just knew we could feel it we could feel what was trendy we could feel what was fashionable that's crazy um, <laughs> yeah i feel like i'm like going on a tangent right now but, um, <laughs> but to bring it back to the middle east archive project a lot of people send in images saying like they would like refer to the way their grandparents or their family members are dressed like a lot of times i'll get images and 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 i mean someone once sent me an image of her grandmother who happens to come from the same town my grandmother comes oh, from wow. And she was like, my grandmother was a seamstress. Look how, how elegant she looks in this photograph. I love her necklace. I love her dress. She looks beautiful and stunning. Aww, and I was gorgeous. just like, wow, <laughs> your grandma looks super glam. Like, and it's just, I love how these images, these are not images from Egyptian cinema. These are not images from, like, um, you know, uh, 1970s Beirut with models. And this is like... This is, these are images that are tucked away in people's homes, and you can see how glamorous everybody was, or at least the effort people put to be glamorous, regardless of their, of their level of income or their educational background. And I think that that says a lot about like the resilience and the spirit of our region. Um, how does your family feel about the archive? Okay, so at first, Okay, first of all, they love it. Yeah. Um, I get their full support, and my mom is always on the hunt for uh. <laughs> online, and she's always like, oh, my friend on Facebook, like, posted this, like, really old picture of her, of her parents in Syria or in Palestine, like, do you want to repost it on Middle East Archive? And I'm like, mom, I can't just take people's pictures and put them <laughs> on the archive. <laughs> they have to submit, and I have to take permission. Like, yeah. I can't just, like, take people's. So my, my, my family's super supportive and excited about it. But it was funny at the very beginning because um, I remember when I first started it, my mom was like, why? Like, she was like, what did she say to me? She said something along the lines of, like, why do these images matter? Like, why are you oh, really? posting these old <laughs> Yeah, so you're changing then, her mind. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, we had, like, this whole, like, just like me and you are having a conversation right now about it. Yeah. And I had a, had a, like, full, like, very long conversation about it, and we talked about, you know, the mainstream media, and, like, ta we talked about, you know, how to, like, dismantle, um, unfair and very orientalist views of the of the middle east um and so like then my mom came around and said oh yeah you know what you're 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 definitely right like i agree with you so at first it, they were like what are you doing mm, yeah <laughs> and then yeah amazing and i know that you had an event at the was it the dubai mall yeah how was that Oxford. yeah how was that bringing it into like an in real life space um it was amazing i mean it was really amazing to see all of these old images in one of the most high-tech spaces you could possibly be in i mean we were at the apple store um, yeah and seeing those images on that massive massive screen and having like 
tens of people sit in front of you and, and, and like listen and ask questions. I mean, it was great. Um, I wasn't alone. The, the, so the, the talk was with me and then ACASA, which yeah. is a photography institute at NYU Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. who do, um, like archiving in the very kind of like, uh, conventional sense. Like yeah. they're, they they do like proper archive archiving um and then there was um gulf of south asia which is a wonderful also crowdsourced platform that looks at um the southeast asian families that uh moved to the gulf okay and kind of like tells their stories and so and we were all moderated by um uh, Golf Photo Plus. So Golf Photo Plus. It was a partnership between Golf Photo Plus and Apple Store. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it was great. I mean, we got a lot of really challenging questions, and it was wonderful. But I mean, and it was nice as well because like people at the end of the talk were like coming up to me and saying, "Oh, I have pictures. I'd love to yeah. share with you." And it was just nice to to see people getting excited about the project. Um. But to be very honest with you, like, I wish that talk wasn't only for an hour because there was so much more to deconstruct about the project that I really wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, Like, for example, like, there's something I didn't get to say in front of everybody, and I think this is really important and it matters, is that a lot of people a lot of people can't submit to the project because they don't have a lot of images of their family from back in the day. Mm. Yeah. And, and you need to, like, we need to, to be very aware of the fact that a project like this project comes from a place of privilege. It assumes that, you know, every family in the region has photographs. Every family in the region um, had, at some point in the, over the last hundred years, had access to a camera. I mean, most of the families that... Um, have these beautiful images of themselves are often, you know, quite privileged or quite educated, you know, um, there are a lot of people that don't have any images of, of their history and of their past. And that's because, you know, um, uh, being photographed at, you know, back then wasn't as easy as it is now. And back then, not a lot of people had access to a camera or not a lot of people could afford to go to a, uh, a, a photo studio in their area to get pictures taken. So, I mean, and, and also not to, not to, not to mention that, um, a lot of people or a lot of families in our region have experienced conflict, war, refugeehood, uh, displacement, you know, in these very, uh, difficult times, people didn't have the time to think about being photographed. You know, yeah. being photographed yeah. was like the last thing people had on their minds. And then also, apart from that, like just me reflecting on this on on this project, um, I think yeah, I think I think that you know to 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 ha- like think or to even think about creating a project like this comes from a very privileged position. So like that's one of the things I didn't get the chance to say, and now I'm just like using this interview it's a really no it's a really great point yeah no something you don't even think about but you're right actually and I I also actually think um like you know like between my mom has these pictures and at some point it will be divided between me and my brother so then what does my mom's sister have or what did my mom's great aunts and uncles have you know at different points these things will go to different 
lines of people and travel across the world. Yes. Um, so the pictures have lives of their own as well. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I think also the fact, that, I mean, that's what makes them so, um, so meaningful as well. Like the photographs, not only as content, but the photographs as objects and as property. I mean, when my grandmother passed away um, 12, maybe 13 years ago, um, she also had a suitcase very similar to the one in my house right now that was yeah. full of pictures. And I'm sure that those pictures are worth a lot more to me than the ones I have in my house right now because my grandmother had photos of everybody as babies. She had Aww. photos of my grandfather who passed away many, many decades ago. Um, she had like all sorts of things that I know I wish I could look at now. But the thing is, when my grandmother passed, um, a lot of the stuff was kind of like uh, given away to like various uh, members of the family. Yeah. And our family spread all over, and I don't know where these images are. And um, two years ago, I went looking for them. So I started like calling family members and contacting people so I can track down like who took my grandmother's photographs. Like I, I really want to find them. I want to. I want to find that bag. Yeah. And then somebody, and the, nobody knew where they were. Nobody had a clue. And then somebody said that it might be with my uncle. Mm -hmm. But my uncle, that I mean, that specific uncle, um, passed away 10 years ago. Oh, so wow. a couple of years after yeah. my grandmother did. So, and then his stuff was also given away. So then I couldn't, I couldn't track down the photographs. I don't know, I don't know where they are right now. And a lot of people go through the same because... I mean, unfortunately, but then also I completely get it. Like, unfortunately, these images aren't really valued to mm. the average person in the region. Because like, like I told you, I mean, this project comes from a place of privilege. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, it's a very privileged position to see the value in these images, right? Yeah. Uh, for the average person, they're going to look and they're going to say, well, what, what, what does this matter? Like, who cares about these? I care about feeding my kids. I care about, you know, putting them through school. I don't give a crap about these pictures. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm generalizing and I'm, and I'm, and I'm oversimplifying it, but I mean, I'm just to like get the point across. I think a lot of, for a lot of families and a lot of people in the region, they might not see the value in these images. So then they just get passed around and, Nobody knows where they are, and nobody knows where exactly you can locate them, and who has half of them, who has the rest, what happened to them. Um, and then also, like, there's this whole thing of, um, it's so crazy, like, uh, multiple people have said this to me, that they went looking for their, just like me, they've had yeah. the same, like, the same experience as me, and then they went looking for their family, uh, family photographs, and then as soon as they track them down or find them, suddenly everybody in the family wants them and it's that same dilemma you yeah. mentioned with the... I, my mom said a similar thing to me not about about finding other personal things but um yeah it's just like as soon as you express an interest in it then they become interesting to someone else because they're like why are you interested in it so exactly exactly that's exactly what happens and I, so many people have said the same that they went looking for them and as soon as they found them and said I want these pictures everybody's like why do you want these pictures? Who said that you get these pictures? You yeah. know, and then also, um, and then there becomes like suspicion. Like, why do you want these pictures? What do you want to do with them? Like, I think there also becomes that because obviously, like, 
our community is 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 relatively conservative and yeah. And, and yeah so so people are like oh what, what do you what do you want with these images what are you going to do with them and and that's also why people start like asking these questions like oh why are you why yeah why do you want them how come you get them yeah um, but I actually find these, this story, like this story, this recurring story, really, really fascinating because it also tells you a lot about our relationship to these photographic objects. It tells you a lot about our mindset. It tells you a lot about the way we view ourselves. I mean, yeah, like our relationships to these images tells you a lot about who we are as a community yeah. as well. Yeah, and about that. Um, how not just we have a something, a connection to it, but like our cousins or someone else. Yeah. So what do you think the future has in store for the Middle East Archive Project? Are you planning anything else to do with all these images? Any more events? Um, so right now with coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> everything, everything is up in the air. I really encourage anybody who listens to this to like uh, send in submissions and keep the project alive. And you know, I mean, it's it's a, we're all indoors, so we yeah. have time now to look through our family histories and look at photographs. So I encourage anybody out there who'd like to be involved to just reach out. But um, what I was planning before all of this, like before this global crisis started, mm. um, I was working on a photo book. Wow of some select images from the archive project. Um, I was also hoping to, um, and I reached out to a few, uh, to a few collectives and organizations where it's so that I could, um, you know, have, uh, events where we can collectively talk about, you know, archiving practices and where we can, um, you know, get people together to talk about their family histories and to present the project in a more, like, intimate way. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, like, as soon as this is over, I'm going to get back to doing that. Yeah, I hope so. It's, it's a great time for people to go through all those old dusty boxes and photo albums that are falling apart. Yes. Exactly. And um, I mean, I also went through a, a few of the boxes in my house and I found some absolute gems that I had no idea I had because there's so many pictures. And now I'm just like working on, um, I mean, I'm still researching and asking questions and calling family members. Yeah. But I'm doing it like I'm organizing everything according to like year and geographical location. Oh, wow. I'm like taking everything out of the falling apart albums and like putting yeah. them in like. Uh, albums that are like more um you know in better condition uh hopefully to like further preserve them yeah um, but yeah that's pretty much it that's so exciting i'm really excited to see what else the middle east archive project brings and always checking the instagram um because it's educating it educates anyone who goes on it because you learn of all these stories of people um, different communities that you might never have heard of. Um, yes. So thank you so much for your time, Dara. Thank you, Lizzie. I really, really appreciate it. And I just, yeah, it's like awesome to talk to you about the Middle East Archive Project. Yeah, for sure. And for anyone who's interested in following Middle East Archive, it is at Middle East Archive on Instagram. And I'll add a link to everything on the podcast.